Hey friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. It's such a joy to spend Easter with you. Whether you're here in Memphis watching us online this morning or you're somewhere else in this wide world, it's just a joy to be together for this special day in the Christian faith, Easter Sunday. So thanks for joining us today. You've heard from John 20 today throughout the service. We've read portions of that famous passage on the resurrection of Jesus. Did you notice that John 20 ends with Thomas, the story of Thomas? And do you know what we call Thomas? To this day, over 2,000 years later, we still know Thomas as Doubting Thomas, which is such an unfair name for Thomas to get. I mean, if, if we wanted another name for Thomas, we could have called him Didymus. He's like one of the few apostles that we know his other name. We could have called him by his other name, but instead, for 2,000 years, he's known as Doubting Thomas, which is really unfair because, and I hope you saw this as we read John 20 together, everybody in John 20 doubts the resurrection. You know, the first person to show up on the scene at the empty tomb is Mary Magdalene. And notice, she doesn't believe Jesus has been raised from the dead. She thinks his body's been stolen. And then, and then you've got Simon Peter and the other disciple who run to the tomb. And we read this, they didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. We're told that they believed, but I don't think they knew what they believed. I mean, I think if somebody had asked them, oh, you think Jesus has been raised? They would have been like, hmm, I don't know about that. And then Jesus finally shows up to all of the disciples except Thomas. And when he shows up in John 20, he says, peace be with you. But notice, they still don't believe until they see his hands and his side still marked from the cross. They don't believe, they doubt until they see his hands and his side. Well, what does doubting Thomas want to see? His hands and his side. I mean, everybody in the chapter doubts. It's not fair that Thomas is known as Doubting Thomas. You know what we call people who doubt the impossible? Because of course, this was impossible. It was resurrection, it was new life from death. You know what we call people who doubt the impossible? We don't call them doubters, we call them sane. We call them sane. I've got a friend here, he went to dental school here in Memphis. And he told us this story one time about a fellow dental school student with him who seriously believed in Bigfoot. And we laugh. We're like, no way is that possible. And he's like, yes, he absolutely believes in Bigfoot. In fact, he has a mullet. And we're like, Bigfoot has a mullet? And he's like, no, no, my, my classmate has a mullet. And then we believe. We, we didn't believe in Bigfoot, but we believed that someone with a mullet might believe in Bigfoot. Now, listen, you know, I'm all for mullets, just not on my dentist, okay? We don't call somebody who believes or disbelieves in the impossible doubters. We call them sane. <laughs> That's what we call somebody who disbelieves in the impossible. And Jesus dead and then alive again is impossible. Well, help me think through for a second just what is possible. I was walking into the church building a few days ago, a few weeks ago actually, 
it was really cold. I was bundled up and I, I noticed a sister from this church who was in the parking lot waving me down as I pulled in. She was ready for somebody to open the door. It was early in the morning at church. And so I come to the door and I unlock it and I meet her there. And she begins to tell me how she's been meeting with another sister from our church for the last three days. This is their fourth and final day together. And in that time, what they've been doing together is studying scripture really deeply and talking to each other, asking really difficult questions. And I knew this woman who I was standing at the door with, and I knew that she'd had a hard life recently in many ways, had had some serious struggles. But as I opened the door and we walked in together, she said to me, Eric, she said, I cannot believe what has happened the last three days. She said, I feel like I finally know Jesus and I have come alive. She says, Eric, I'm 67 years old and I thought that was impossible, she said. Well, what is possible? You know, that word possible has its root in the word power. Now, I know in English it does not have its root in the word power, but in Greek, anytime you're reading your English Bible, and you come across the word possible or impossible, the root for that Greek word is the same word for power in Greek. It's the word dunamis, from which we get dynamic or dynamism, which makes me think about the, the energy between the smallest parts of an atom bouncing back and forth. And you know what the Greek language betrays in this connection between power and possibility is that's what, what is possible for you and I is based entirely on the power that we have access to. And in the Greek world, the way they thought about power was, was power wasn't just something you had or didn't have. The power itself was a force. We might call it the force. Uh, Plato called power the absolute. The Stoics spoke of power as the invisible force from which self-originating and self-moving moves the world. Poseidonius, he spoke of this invisible power, and he said this, it inwardly holds the world together. So the Greeks thought about power as something greater even than the gods. In fact, the Greek gods, what made them special was that they each had access to a portion of this greater power. But interestingly, the Greek gods were all limited. There was things outside the boundaries that they had access to that power, but there was a power that was greater, a force of unlimited capacity, a force for which nothing was impossible. But the problem was you couldn't know that power personally. That power didn't have a name. It wasn't seen, it was invisible. And that's what makes the Jewish faith first, and then the Christian faith, which comes from it, different from all the other faiths of the world. And that is that suddenly this invisible, all-controlling power for which nothing is impossible has a name. In fact, it has many names, the God Most High, the God who sees, the God who provides. When we read our Old and New Testaments, what we see about God is that God becomes known. He becomes the God of history, the one whose stories are written about, the one who enters into the world's stage and makes the impossible possible. 
by his power. There's a story in Exodus that you might have trouble believing. In fact, many do. It's the story of the Israelites fleeing from slavery in Egypt, where they've been slaves for 400 years. And they're fleeing, they're unarmed, they've been slaves, and they're being pursued by an army of the most heavily armed people in the ancient world. And they come to the Red Sea, and it's vast and impenetrable, and they're facing their doom. And then suddenly God parts those waters, and the Israelites walk through on dry land to the other side, and God brings those waters crashing down on their enemies behind them. And to us, that's the kind of story that feels impossible. And yet, their very survival was evidence that the impossible happened. That there was this moment in history in which what everyone believed to be impossible must have happened. And so after they march through the Red Sea on dry land, they get to the other side and they sing, Your strong hand, Lord, is dominant in power. There's that word. Your strong hand, Lord, shatters the enemy with your great loyalty. You led, your, you led the people you rescued, and with your power, you guided them to your sanctuary. Now, what is possible? Well, for him who has that power, we hope all things are possible. A good friend of mine, a mentor, called me the other day. And when he calls me, he, he calls to encourage me, to build me up. And inevitably, when he calls, we end up talking about me most of the time. And I always feel terrible about that afterwards. And so he calls me the other day, and this time I'm ready for him. And before the call ends, I ask him, well, what about you? Tell me how you're doing. I'll never forget what he said. He breathed really deeply and he said, Eric, it's been a hard time. I got a lot of hard, heavy things in life right now. He said, you know, the other day in the morning as I was praying, I actually got out my journal and I made this list and I called the list my list of impossible things. I started writing the things in my life that felt impossible before I knew it. The list was longer than I expected. And isn't that just like life, Eric? And so I look at this list and it's, it's eight things long, the eight impossible things in my life. And I began to pray to God and I said, God, these things feel impossible to me. I don't know how they get resolved. I don't know how they get worked out. I don't see a way forward on any one of them. They feel impossible. But I believe, I hope that you can do something about them. These are my impossible things. I bet that you know what he feels like. I know that I do. You know, I, be, I bet in our own way we can resonate with Nicodemus. You remember the story of Nicodemus? Nicodemus comes to Jesus and Jesus tells him, he says this, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Nicodemus asked, well, how is it possible for an adult to be born? He knows that's impossible. Jesus, it's impossible for me to enter my mother's womb again. What you're asking of me is impossible. Or how about this? This is in Ephesians. 
In Ephesians, Paul talks about our enemies, our adversaries. And you and I begin to think about the people in our life who we're at odds with. And, and we imagine, well, if, you know, if I got in a real scrap with one of these people, maybe I could wrestle them to the ground. Maybe I would have a shot at beating them. But then he says, no, 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 no. Those aren't your enemies. He says this, we aren't fighting against human enemies, but against rulers and authorities, forces of cosmic darkness and spiritual powers of evil in the heavens. Therefore, he says, Pick up the full armor of God so that you can stand your ground on the evil day. And after you have done everything possible to still stand. Wait, you know what? Okay. He says your enemy is one that you can't even see. And so you need to do everything possible, everything in your power. And then after you have done everything possible for you, you need to still be able to stand. Okay, do you know what, it's, what, it's, what we call it when somebody asks you to do something beyond what is possible for you? We call it impossible. <laughs> That's what we call it. Okay, in 1985, at this church, the Highland Church of Christ, our preacher at the time, Harold Hazlett, preached a sermon called The Impossible Dream. Many of you were here that first Sunday, he preached that sermon, and he went on to preach that sermon all over the world. It's an incredible sermon. In fact, it's, it's the kind of sermon that I fall asleep at night dreaming that one day I will preach, but most of you have told me, Eric, that's impossible. <laughs> you may remember about that sermon that he starts with a quote from a song. And that song is in the play Man of La Mancha, which tells the story of Don Quixote. You remember Don Quixote? He was the, the uh, knight who believed that windmills were giants, and he would attack those windmills believing they were giants to be slain. I guess Don Quixote probably had a mullet. Okay. <laughs> so Harold Hazlip starts with the song from Man of La Mancha. When Don Quixote, who everyone thinks is crazy, vows that he will continue to dream the impossible dream. And he says this, I will dream the impossible dream to fight the unbeatable foe, to bear with unbearable sorrow, to run where the brave dare not go, to right the unrightable wrong, to fight for the right without question or pause, to be willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause. And I know if I'll only be true to this glorious quest, then my heart will lie peaceful and calm when I'm laid to my rest, and the world will be better for this, that one man scorned and covered with scars still strove with his last ounce of courage to reach the unreachable stars. And there is, there is a power in dreaming an impossible dream. Have you ever heard the story of Mary McCloyd Batune? She was a remarkable woman. She was born the daughter of freed slaves in America in 1875. And she, from a really young age, has this vision, this dream that nearly everyone tells her is impossible. And it's this dream of being a part of God's social transformation in our world. And she thinks that she's being called into mission work. And so she applies to go to Africa as a missionary and the missionary board tells her no. That's her first dream was crushed. And she gets a job at teaching at a school for, for children who don't have many opportunities. She's teaching Bible school lessons and teaching them how to sing hymns, but then she loses her job when she becomes pregnant. Another dream 
crushed. She and her family, they moved to Florida where she sees all of these destitute children without access to education. And so she just dreams that she could start a school for these children. Problem is she has a dollar and 50 cents to her name. That was 1904, you know, over a hundred years later, that little school that she started with a dollar and 50 cents is now one of the most prestigious universities in Florida. There is this power in dreaming an impossible dream. Just before her death, Mary said, she said, faith is the first factor in a life devoted to service. And without it, nothing is possible. But with it, nothing is impossible. You remember what Jesus said. Jesus says, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Don't you long to believe that? I long to have that kind of faith. And some people really have it. And when we see those stories of people who dream these impossible dreams and what is possible for them is shifted as a result of that, we are inspired, but. But there is still this voice echoing through time and space throughout all of history that says, yes, there are some things that seem impossible and turn out to be only very hard. But there are other things that are actually impossible. Well, there's at least one thing that is impossible. That's what the Sadducees said. They said there may be a lot of things that we think are impossible but are only hard. But there is one thing absolutely impossible, and that is resurrection. Those who are dead do not come back to life. And Jesus looks at the Sadducees and he says this, you are wrong. Because you don't know either the scriptures or God's power. And this, this is it. This is what resurrection is. It is God's power. God's unbounded, impossible power. You know, you got to think about it. It was audacious. It was crazy. It was insane to declare that Jesus was alive. He had been killed on a Roman cross. Everyone had seen it. He had been buried in an empty tomb, and he had been dead three days. It was insane. It was impossible to say that they had seen him, and yet... They said they saw him. (laughs) They believed. First it was Mary, and then it was Simon Peter and the other disciple, and then it's all the disciples gathered in that little room. And then last of all, it is doubting Thomas, and then it's hundreds more. And they saw him in Judea. They saw him in Galilee. They saw him in town. They saw him in the countryside. They saw him inside. They saw him outside. They saw him in the morning. They saw him in the evening. They saw him when he said he'd be there. And sometimes he surprised them. They saw him uh, far away. They saw him up close. They saw him by the lake. They saw him on the hillside. Women saw him. Men saw him by themselves in groups as big as 500. They saw him sitting. They saw him walking. They saw him standing. And always they saw him talking. And they couldn't deny what they saw. 
You know, they knew it was impossible, and yet they saw him. And when you have seen the impossible with your own eyes, you cannot help but believe. And when you see the impossible, this hope that is buried down deep inside us from time immemorial, this hope that there is a power out there for whom nothing is impossible, when you see it, that hope comes alive. And once you have seen that power, you cannot help but believe. Peter stands before a crowd of people who did not believe in the resurrection. And yet they could not deny the power they saw in the early church, in the body of Christ. And Peter stood before them, and this is what he said. I want you to listen to the reversal that he describes here. He says, in accordance with God's established plan and foreknowledge, he was betrayed, Jesus. And you, with the help of wicked men, had Jesus killed by nailing him on a cross. But God raised him up. God freed him from death's dreadful grip since it was impossible for death to hang on to him. You notice the reversal there. I mean, it's dramatic. It is the most dramatic reversal in all of history. Because as we started, what we have always known is that there is one thing that is impossible, and that is to be alive after death. Which is to say that death has always had the last word. It has been the final say on what is possible. But suddenly in this moment, when God reaches into the tomb and brings Jesus back out, suddenly it's not death determining what's possible. It's death running into what's impossible for it. Suddenly we see in that moment that there is someone who has the power and it is not death. It is someone else. And so... Take your list to Him. Your list of impossible things. Your list of impossible dreams. There is a power that has been unleashed in our world for whom all things are possible. So take your list to Him. Because God's power was at work in Christ when God raised him from the dead and set him at God's right side in the heavens. Far above every ruler and authority and power and angelic figure and any power that might be named, not only now, but in the future. And that power, we're told, God's power is working among us believers. A few weeks ago, we baptized a young woman named Anna. Hannah Thrasher, our youth minister, read from Romans 6 over her, about the power of God's resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. The greatest power the world has ever seen. And then I had the great pleasure of looking into Anna's eyes and telling her that power, and the power that raised Christ from the dead, is now at work in you. And she smiled so big. And when I saw that smile, I thought to myself, I don't want to live in a world where there is impossible. And I don't. Because He is risen. He is risen indeed.